The Bob Murphy Show, episode 262. Get ready for another episode of The Bob Murphy Show, the podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. It's your source for commentary and interviews conducted by a Christian and economist. Now here's your host, Bob Murphy. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Bob Murphy Show. Today I'm going to be talking with Tatiana Moroz, a longtime friend who I met through the Liberty Movement. And she's a talented singer-songwriter. And she performs at a lot of events. And she was on the Contra Cruise. She was a regular that we had on as part of the musical offerings, for those of you who went. And today, I want to just encourage you, though, in case you're thinking like, oh, she's just going to be talking about like her latest album or something. But yes, she is. But this really turned into a deep conversation. We get into some serious issues about God and the devil and the state of the world and whether activism is a good idea and what can you do with your life to try to help spread liberty and peace around the world. All sorts of great deep stuff. Let me just read, though, in case you don't know who she is. This is from her website. Tatiana Moreau speaks at technology, music, marketing, and political conferences all over the world. During her talks, Tatiana shares her journey as an artist and the many uses of Bitcoin. Topics range from blockchain tech, free speech, civil liberties, and creative empowerment to the Silk Road and Ross Albrecht to prison reform and the drug war. She inspires people with the power of cryptocurrencies and teaches how Tatiana coin, which is a coin she issued, can be adapted for other artists. Her talks are rounded out with a musical performance relating back to the causes closest to her heart. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Tatiana Moroz. Well, Tatiana, welcome back to the Bob Murphy Show. Thanks so much for having me on the show today, Bob. Well, a lot has happened since you and I have even caught up. We we're just doing so a little bit before we hit record here, but certainly for people who listen to the podcast. So I guess one big thing is you used to live the New York City, New Jersey area, and now you're in Miami. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. So basically during COVID, everything was really terrible for everybody, right? I felt really isolated in New Jersey. I didn't really feel a real alignment with the politics in that area in general. So I thought it was time to move. You know, I had a rent control place for a long time and I bought a beautiful apartment here in Miami. And at the time I was debating, you know, frankly, I should have probably considered Nashville a little bit longer because I actually really like Nashville a lot. Mm -hmm. But the two main places were Texas and Florida. And when you get off the plane and you see the ocean here in Miami, it's really hard to pick Texas. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and also, as somebody who grew up outside of Manhattan, I have a love for things a little bit more fancy, a little bit more cosmopolitan and exciting. And Austin is not really like that. So I'm really happy to say that I'm here down in Miami. There's also quite a lot of different cryptocurrency activity down here. So when I first moved here, actually, I haven't even shared this. So you know Jason Rink. We created a... Sizzle reel, kind of like a first episode of a show called Bitcoin City. And I still mm -hmm. have to share that with people. But right around the time that we were kind of finishing up that edit, then that's when the crypto market really dipped. So it was harder to get funding to make it happen. But yeah, I mean, that's how much I was inspired by Miami. I called it Bitcoin City. And there really is a lot of art and creativity happening here in addition to a lot of like venture capitalists and different kind of businesses that are moving here. And I think we'll continue to do so in the upcoming years. Okay, great. Yeah, it's, I don't know if you know this, but yeah, I'm what I'm doing in my business is heavily involved with a company that's in blockchain. I will talk about it in a future episode, folks, so I won't get into it here. But yeah, the CEO is just now moving to Miami. And we also, my wife and I have a place in Florida. And partly, I don't know if this was your thing, Tatiana, but I thought, in the next 10 years, I think a lot of Americans are going to be moving to Florida and that having real estate there, I'm not going to regret doing that, whether or not we live in the place that we just bought. Like, I, I think getting into real estate in Florida now or last year was not a bad idea that I think things are going to get pretty crazy. Yeah, that's what people expect. You know, mm. I actually have a friend, Eric Mendelson, that did it for me with crypto. So we did 
some loan stuff where you can show how much crypto you have and then it allows you to get a loan. So I thought that that was really a neat feature just because a lot of people can't, if they're living off of their crypto, they have a hard time proving their income and stuff like that. So it was neat to see him kind of leading the way on that stuff because now there's a lot of different businesses that will allow you to give them your crypto and then you can have your mortgage against your crypto. Now, Mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot of problems that happen when you can do loans. I mean, I experienced this, right? I did loans against my crypto and then the price starts falling. Don't recommend that. But if you're really crypto rich and you want to buy property, I do think that that was a really neat thing. And yeah, I mean, definitely has gone up a lot more than my Bitcoin has in the past like year and a half or whatever since I've been living here. So Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious what criteria you use. So I guess what, there's no income tax in the three states you mentioned that were, well, you said there was Texas and Florida, but you think Tennessee should have been a contender in retrospect. What other things were you, was it just taxes or were there other considerations too you were looking at? Well, I mean, it's no secret. I'm a freedom girl. So I definitely wanted freedom from COVID. I felt like it's a really social environment. Miami is very international. And I like the Latin flavor. I mean, sometimes I wish that there was a little bit more Polish stuff, but Mm -hmm. I survive. And plus there's, you know, like there's sunny aisles as like all the Russian Ukrainian people not too far away. Yeah. So I like that it's not as far away from New York. I like being on the Eastern time zone. I think DeSantis is doing a pretty good job overall. And I also think that a lot of people are going to be moving here. You know, Mm -hmm. one of the things that I find really surprising is I guess there's some laws being passed in California around vaccination, according to the new mRNA standard. And if people don't want to take it, I feel like that's up to them, right? But now they're making it kind of mandatory. So if people are opposed to that and they're not willing to homeschool, obviously people are going to keep moving here. That being said, I love people homeschooling, and I think that people should keep doing that. Jordan Page is working on something called Firefly Education. I don't know if you checked it out, but I actually think this is really, really neat. And Mm -hmm. I don't think that you need a crypto angle, but I like the idea of pod learning and just alternatives to mainstream education. What do you think about that stuff? I mean, there's like the Ron Paul standard, right? His curriculum. But I mean, what do you think over the past few years? Has that improved? I think so. Well, certainly, I mean, with everybody having to stay home, I think a lot of people got used to not just working from home, but also like they're teaching their kids at home anyway. I think, yeah, plenty of parents, once they figure out the logistics of how to do that, now they're like, well, why am I sending them back to this center where they're teaching them things that are completely antithetical to what our value system is? So, yeah, I think so. Certainly the new ones that we have, people might even hear them yelling in the background. We're certainly going to homeschool them. And at least for long stretches, you know, you may be farmed out for a particular, you know, someone teaching them how to speak German or something. I can't do that. So, yeah, I think that's an obvious thing to do. A lot of times I kind of troll the so-called school choice people. But part of the reason I do that is I do think the idea of like, oh, hey, we're going to go ahead and reform this official school system. I don't think that's happening anytime soon. To me, that's, I think, as hopeless as, oh, let's just send the right people to Washington and we'll turn this ship around, baby. Like to me, like, no, your kids like right now, I know it's different depending on where you are in some places of the country, it's better than others. But yeah, in general, I think if parents can figure out how to make it work financially to homeschool, that that's really what they should try to do. Yeah, for sure. And also the other thing that's nice about Florida is there's a lot of Cuban people here, especially Mm -hmm. in Miami. And Cuban people really understand freedom. Like if you want to talk to people about communism, you're not going to have a bunch of people being like, oh, it's so awesome, like surrounding you. Whereas in other places, Mm -hmm. it's really, people are totally clueless about like, what is the eventual outcome of communism? Sounds really great at first. And so I've met a lot of neat Liberty fans over here. I convinced Lynn Ulbricht to move down here. So I think that was a good choice. And, you know, she has, I think, more opportunities to make friends with the right people and to help with the Ross Mm -hmm. situation. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I mean, everybody's moving here, don't you think? I mean, as certainly a lot are. Yes, definitely. Florida in general. It's funny you said that because I, when I was going to NYU, my roommate was this film student at NYU and she was total leftist and she was so excited because one of the summers she was getting, she was going to go visit Cuba and she was so excited to see real socialism. You know, and I was like, well, just remember when you go see how poor it is, it's because of socialism, not the sanctions. And you know, I, I was real kind of uptight too at the time. But in any event, yeah. 
it was funny how like people have different attitudes towards that stuff with the people coming from Cuba and going to Florida, obviously that's why they're leaving. Just real briefly for people who don't know. So is it correct to say Miami is the crypto capital of the United States or do other cities rival that title? I think that, you know, New York has a lot of business because New York has Wall Street, but mm. New York has the bit license and they've been a pain with crypto people. So already crypto people are not as interested in that. California, I mean, whatever, might as well just go into the sea at this point. Kind of useless place, sadly. Seattle has some action, but they're they're not that happening. Austin has a lot more crypto, but I mean, I don't know. Miami, I think it is the capital. I think that mm. there's certain cities where you have a fair amount of tech. I also I'm going to be going to East Denver. I'll be performing there. And Denver has a lot of crypto stuff, but Florida really is the capital and especially Miami around NFTs and all different kinds of stuff. So mm. from your vantage point, the FTX thing, like like I knew there were several projects that were going forward and the FTX thing scared a bunch of investors out, either fairly or unfairly, like some things that had nothing to do with the issues. But was that like a neutron bomb or was it just like, okay, yeah, that that was stupid and let's just not have people do that again? Well, no, that was really, really very bad. I mean, you had all the Terra Luna stuff that happened leading up to it. So the market had already been kind of getting a big hit. But mm -hmm. Sam Bankman-Fried was writing legislation and it was also kind of came out of nowhere. The first I heard out of him was when he was speaking he had an event in the Bahamas and he had Bill Clinton and Tony Blair speaking and I just had a meltdown. I was so angry. I'm like, who is this a-hole and why is he bringing these two dirtbags into crypto? I was really, really upset. Mm -hmm. I was very upset with people who went to his events. And then all of a sudden here it comes out that he's insulting and a lot of people consider him to be a little bit of a Trojan horse. It's a little conspiratorial, but considering his close relationship with Gary Gensler and... Caroline Ellison's father working, I guess, at MIT. There were some things that were big question marks. There was also quite a lot of money laundering going on, most of it to Ukraine, maybe not most of it, but a lot of it to Ukraine. There was he's the second largest donor to the Democratic candidate, Biden, right? And I guess maybe the Democratic Party. So obviously, he's not getting into any trouble. He was chilling in the Bahamas. I know people have to make a case for it, blah, blah, blah. But you know, now he's sitting at his parents' house playing video games and he didn't even put up the full amount of the bail that was expected for, I guess he had $250 million was the amount, but you have to give them 10%. So the house was only worth $4 million and they should have had a $25 million kind of hold on it. I think people are really sick of the corruption and the corruption was really exposed to be coming from our own government in this case. And all that money that went to Ukraine has never really been accounted for and nobody's given back the donations. So to me, it's really an indictment of the system and just how disgustingly corrupt everything is, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think it's an indictment of crypto, but now it allows for these governments to basically try and put in stupid rules that Really, the rules that made this illegal are already in place, but now it becomes an excuse to try and clamp down further on crypto businesses. And, and I think that's unfortunate, but that will just drive business to other places as long as people can escape the long arm of the American law system. Mm -hmm. Okay. I wasn't aware of some of those details. I'll have to do more reading about like with the bail and everything. I, I didn't hear about that. So that's... Yeah, and it's a mess. And like, it's very, very kind of like thumbing your nose in the people's faces, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, so much fraud and there's basically no penalty. And then you look at a case like the Silk Road, right? I mean, whatever. Ross never saw the light of day as soon as they clamped those cuffs on him. Obviously a very different case, but arguably there were more victims from Sam Bankman-Fried than Ross, right? There's no actual victims there. There's some people who had drug problems, but they had them before Ross came along and, uh, Whatever. So, yeah, Sam Bankman Friend is really infuriating. And I mean, in general, look at what happens. You have Epstein, nothing happens to him. All those famous people that went to his island, oh, no problem. I mean, it's just consistently things are becoming more apparently unjust. And it's really hard to stomach it as a citizen and, and remain calm and objective. Mm -hmm. 
By the way, for people listening, I interviewed Lynn Ulbrich, Ross's mom, about the Silk Road trial. And so go to bobmurphyshow.com slash 262, and I'll give links to all this stuff. And obviously anything else that Tati and I bring up, but just a because I think some libertarian, like they were in principle fine with that website. And so I don't need to know the details of the case, but not realizing, you know, just how crazy, like the decisions the judge made during the trial in terms of evidentiary rules and things like it was just insane when you hear. And I still even, I'm sure you do too all the time, Todd, I hear people like alluding confidently to things like, oh yeah, you hired hitmen to do this. And it was like, well, no, the government didn't even press that chart. They just said that beforehand to make everybody afraid to associate with them. And then they didn't even bother pressing that as a charge. So anyway. Yeah, there's a lot of corruption. Mm. And to me, there's been sort of like a deprogramming, right? Early on in my life, I learned about the Illuminati and, you know, I had some suspicions about 9-11, whatever. But as time has progressed, it's really crazy how corrupt everything is. Like everybody's like, oh my God, I can't believe the Trump election was stolen. And I'm like, I can I saw them do that with Ron Paul in 2012. His own party was keeping him out of the running. So why would the anything up the line be any more legitimate? I mean, mm-hmm. the corruption on that front has been even more surprising, like all the evidence that keeps coming out, right? But for me, I just stopped believing in that president idea in 2012 when I was here in Tampa. That was the first year I was really singing with Ron Paul. That was my like liberty coming out, right? And it was an incredible year, but unfortunately, I was left with the impression that politics wasn't going to be the winner. And that's why I ended up going into Bitcoin. And then when I found out about what happened with Ross, I mean, then you find out, okay, well, now the justice system, you know, it's totally corrupt and it's like terrible, right? Then you have the things that happen with Snowden, the things that happen with Assange, and you say, okay, well, we have no freedom in the press. We have no whistleblower protection. And it just keeps getting worse and worse. And now it's like, surprise, Satan's probably real. <laughs> like, And there might be like demons coming from the ground. I mean, this is slightly exaggerated, but things have become so untethered in terms of those illusions that we had about these infrastructures and things that we just took for granted within our world. I mean, I don't know. I think it's a time for God. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. Very interesting. Yeah. You know, I'm Christian, so I definitely agree. So what's funny is there was a guy, Tatiana, that was like hardcore militant atheist. He liked my economics stuff. So he was one of these guys like, Bob, you're so smart six days a week. And then on Sunday, you're an idiot. You know, that kind of thing. Just for years, are you? And then he flipped all of a sudden. And the reason was, I don't know, like if the Holy Spirit moved him or something, but he was more saying when I realized that the world is run by a cabal of people who believe in the devil whether or not you think the devil is real. But if, in, his, in other words, in his mind, that's what he thought he came to believe that that's what was going on. Then he said the only people that could possibly stand up against that would be people who believed in God, right? Because everybody else would be afraid of them and you know, that kind of stuff, or they'd be co-opted and bought out and stuff. So anyway, I'm not saying other people need to en- endorse that theory. I'm just saying it was kind of funny for that guy that he wasn't even necessarily he believed, but all of a sudden he was like, oh yeah, I'm glad there's these religious people lying around because... This is what we're up against now. So, well, I think that that's true. I mean, I think that everything is so untethered from good and evil, and the world has become, in my opinion, just such a scary place. Like, if you're going to have to pick a team, it better be Team God. And if there was ever evidence of Satan, I mean, look all around us, right? I mean, the veil has been lifted in a lot of ways, and I think it'll continue to be that way. I'm curious if you're following, and I haven't really, but I'm keen to kind of go and check it out. That Asbury revival. Do you know what I'm talking about? I mm-hmm. think that's what it's called. So there's some church. It's not even church. It's like a school. And they had it on Tucker Carlson. And it's like a religious college. And then they usually have worship or whatever. And it just didn't stop. And now it's become this big phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And it's been going on for like probably three weeks now. And just like partying with Jesus. And I think that's like super rad. I like hearing about that. I think that even if you don't believe in, God, like official, that's something that's really marvelous and really, I think, quite powerful in the fight for good against evil right now. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so I know I haven't, my wife was going through her YouTube channel and it was, I think her name's Allie Beth Stuckey is this Christian podcaster. And she covered the story and just had some eyewitness people like saying, oh no, the gospel's being shared. Because there were some cynics, like Christians in general, like they're very often protective of their children. Like, Kanye's not real. He's not one of us. He's just doing that for publicity, you know, that kind of stuff. 
And so some of them were real cynical, but then she had people on that were saying, no, 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 I'm here. And this is the gospel's being shared and this is legit. So I only saw that one like 10 minute clip. But yeah, what I saw was very encouraging. I, you would not have thought that would happen on a U.S. college campus. Well, I think it's really cool and I think I should keep going. But on the subject of Kanye, okay. it's not on my vote because he's still wearing Balenciaga. And as far as I'm concerned, that's disgusting. I have no interest in ever supporting him. Like when he stops Balenciaga, like I'll actually maybe think about mm-hmm. taking him seriously. I know he said some interesting things, some maybe not so <laughs> interesting things. So I'm not like, oh, I loved Kanye until like, no, I I like certain things about Kanye, certain things I don't. But the Balenciaga thing is a deal breaker. Can you, for people who don't know what you're talking about, can you just explain what the backstory is? Sure, sure. So Balenciaga gay is this big issue where Balenciaga, which is a really famous fancy clothing line, had a photo shoot where they had children holding like these bears that look like they have black eyes and they were dressed in S&M and there was a number of inappropriate items within the photos. That was just one part of it. Then there were photos where they had placed a Supreme Court ruling on the subject of child pornography into the photo. So like, why would they have that? Then you kind of go down the rabbit hole and you follow the work of the assigned creative directors and photographers within Balenciaga And then you get some really, really sick stuff. Like you get pictures of children tied up with blood on them, like really, really bad stuff. I kind of akin to Pizzagate in terms of the level of like, wow, this is really bad. So Kanye is, of course, a really big proponent of Balenciaga. He's been dripping in Balenciaga. And the same thing with Kim Kardashian. And it's also part of a larger brand of these fancy brands that also now are being potentially tied to sex trafficking. So for him to go around saying that he's a big Christian and he protects the kids and, oh, my little daughter, Nora, she's being exploited. Well, guess what? Like he doesn't mind that other people are getting exploited. He continues to wear this trash. And I want some accountability. I know that people in libertarian world are so happy. Oh my God, it's a famous person that deigns to look at us. (laughs) Well, guess what? Kanye's music for his whole life has not exactly been uplifting black folk or women or anything, right? Like he's not this little perfect little guy and I'm sure he's maybe finding Jesus, but he still has the spirit of Satan within. And until he stops wearing Balenciaga, it's all blah, blah, blah. So that's my take on it. Hot take on Okay. Kanye. No, that's okay. I didn't, Cause I didn't know he, I knew Kim Kardashian. I had seen her issue a statement like, wow, some of these allegations are very disturbing. We'll, we're going to look into this. And then I didn't know if if they looked into it. Well, yeah. that was already something that people were underwhelmed by, right? And right, I like right. I like Candace Owens. And, you know, I think a lot of things that she says are pretty cool. And I like the topics that she does. But I have not seen her denounce her buddy Kanye for continuing to patronize. Like, why is it bad if Kim does it? But if Kanye does it, it's like, oh, no big deal. I mean, I don't know. Honestly, all these people, they look so weird. If they were freaking clones, I wouldn't be that surprised. I mean, that's like the level that we're at right now. And that's why I feel like bringing up the, you know, I have a new album out called Love Songs for Idiots, right? And it's going to be out March 23rd. But a lot of the record, I think, is kind of focused a little bit more inward and about doing some inner healing. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's been like critical during this very scary time, right? Very, very frightening, very untethered. I would say that my family did not get an A plus in terms of the rating on how they handled this. Would give them a two thumbs down and certain family, right? So it's a time uh, how they handled what? Like COVID. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Being me as a person, you know, just okay. life in general, I would say could use some improvement. So that's kind of been going on. And when you have so many people kind of beating down on you and making you feel really bad. You have to, A, find that place within yourself to be okay with who you are despite what they're doing because I feel like I am a good person and I try really hard to be good and I'm okay with that, right? So like, I think they're wrong even though there's more of them, right? And then there's also the concept of like, I had a friend whose parents were murdered and they were murdered really brutally and like very senselessly and in just a horrific way that you can't even fathom, right? And when that happened in the darkness of COVID, it really made me wonder, like, where is God if he can let something so truly terrible happen? Mm-hmm. And all I've been that keeps being revealed to me while there's still those brilliant 
flashes of like humanity, right? There's like, surprise, this bad thing is happening. Surprise, this bad thing is happening. Surprise, all these people are getting murdered and killed and it's just not your friend's parents, but it's really going on on a massive level. And we probably have satanic pedophiles running the world, right? So that's a lot to manage as a human being. And so I think you're left with one, your inner self. And through that inner self, there has to be some kind of a communication with something more longer. Like on the one hand, there is good and evil. And then on the other hand, we're expected not to judge that ourselves. And then on the third level, it's like it all has no meaning in a different way, right? Like because there's a grand plan where, yes, on the surface, my friend's parents getting murdered. Horrible, right? That, in my opinion, allowed my friend to gain a strength and a bigger love for life and God in a way, even though I would still never take them away from him, right? Mm -hmm. Horrible. Your friend was like your age group? Yes, my friend is in Mm -hmm. my age group, right? So his parents are murdered. And like to me, not to romanticize what By which I mean 28. Yes, clearly. Anyway, (laughs) so his parents getting murdered is like very terrible. It gives him an excuse to just give up on life. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he doesn't give up on life and that there is like a drive to go forward, even through this like horrible thing, to me, that's like a larger statement on what we have to do here. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, so on the one hand, maybe there was like a blood covenant with the murderer and the parents that died, like, so they could teach this lesson. Like, I don't know that. Mm-hmm. And so I have to be able to like, chalk that up to something. And I don't think there's nothing this. I think that we see every day that there's truly evil and there's truly good. And I want to be on team good. So Mm. I think a lot of people are kind of either going to like face that, right? And face a lot of different things, or they're going to continue to be party animals. They're going to take like their life for granted and they're not going to I don't know, like, not that I'm so freaking great and like doing something so wonderful, but at least I'm aware that there's something bigger than me. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what we're all seeing. It's like a sounding of the alarm, like, look at me. God, I'm here. And then Satan's like, I'm here too. And it's like, ah, but like, I mean, literally, <laughs> like, who would think that in our lifetimes, I would be in a serious way considering like, this is like the end of days. And I mean, I hope it's not, right? But I think that we're faced with that like real feeling of like divinity and like hell and where do we fit in that and where do we fit in it when all of us really could be dead really soon like there's a lot of things coming out about vaccines that I think are really really disturbing about people's long-term health and that in the context of everything else that's already bad is within itself terrifying right like you have lowering birth rates you have just so many things that are going wrong how could you not want to find something a little bit more permanent like, I don't know, just, I guess, God, right? I never read Solzhenitsyn's books because they, like, scare me about the Gulag Archipelago, but I wonder if there he finds God. Because that, to me, is like how, like, Frankel's Man's Search for Meaning or whatever, there is, like, that level, right? But I don't know what we're going to learn from this, but it's really quite a lesson. Yes. Wow. Well, you shared a lot there. Let me, um, so, yeah, I read, I did not read The Unabridged. I read, I was doing it with these guys when I was at, Texas Tech, we started going through it. We had a reading group. So, we, you know, we looked at a bridged version. And let me just say, as bad as people think, like, oh, yeah, I'm sure the Gulag and the Soviet Union was bad. It was so much where you can't believe how bad it was. Just like, because psychologically, too, like grabbing somebody, doing all sorts of horrendous things to them to make them confess that their family members were against the party and just knowing until it comes out of your lips, we can't touch your family members. But once you say it, we're going to go take them and do this, what we're doing to you now. We're going to go do your family once you agree that we should. And we're going to do all kinds of torture you until you finally snap and say those words. Like just the mind, you know what I mean? Like, because everyone knows, well, that's crazy. I'm not actually confessing anything if you're torturing me. But so what? Still, that's what the system is. We're going to just do that to you and then go grab your sister and your kids and whatever once you say that they're against Stalin. But we're going to torture you to make you say that. Just, I'm not even getting into like what they would do to people. It was just, so anyway, yeah, he, there was one part though where he said that they realized that there was some guy in the camp that was, or actually it was a woman. The one that I'm thinking of that was extremely religious and whatever. And like, they didn't even bother messing with her because they kind of just knew she was her character. Like they were just going to kill her. Like she would just sit there and just let them kill her. 
because she didn't, you know what I mean? Like she, no, she was not going to go along with their game kind of thing. Like, and so it was in a sense, like it meant that like those particular people were not vulnerable to some of the techniques because they just knew like, oh, we have to really press that, but let's see how this person over here will crack easier. Well, you know, if they got to get so many confessions per week, we'll focus on these people because they'll snap much easier. So yeah, it was not pleasant reading, but it was very interesting. I don't think I want to read it. And that's kind <laughs> of like what made me, you know, there's most of the album is like about love, right? Obviously love songs for mm-hmm. idiots, you know, it's very annoying to be single and like trying to find the, the one anyway. But in this, so like part of it is self-reflection, but then there's this one song, you know, what are you going to do when they come for you? What you're going to do when they come for you? Mm-hmm. And that was actually a song that I made a music video in Warsaw in Poland. I had been going there since I was a child. So I saw the remnants of communism and it had a really profound effect, I think, on how I viewed the world. I even remember going up to my mom and saying, mom, you know, let's put all our money into a pile and we could all just take what we need from there. And she said, no, Tanya, that's communism and it doesn't work. So back to the drawing board with that one. And now that I heard about what was happening with Ukraine and Russia, I became very interested in learning more about that because My mom is really great with history. I'm not the most interested in history per se. And all I remember hearing was just about how much the Polish people fought back against the Nazis when they were first invaded. And I was filled with this big sense of pride. And so now you have the context of COVID and everything else. What are you going to do when they come for you, right? And that almost extends to what you're saying, right? You can fast forward to what happens in the gulag? Are you going to be the person that sells out their family? Or are you going to be the lady that doesn't say anything, but she might get killed, right? Like, what difference does it really make? And does it make a difference? I mean, that's like a really personal question. And so when I went to Poland, I was happy to be able to learn at least a little bit of history while I was there. And to be honest, because I had heard There's this weird story that I need to learn more about. But again, like there's certain information that you almost don't want to learn about, but Mm. it's called Volin. And there's a film called Hatred. That's the translation. And it's like this very, very bloody thing where a bunch of Ukrainian people murdered a bunch of Polish people, over 100,000, really, really brutal. And this was World War II? Yeah, during World War II or like, I guess right after. Mm. Anyway, the point is, it's like Ukraine sided with the Nazis, right? And then there were parts that were still like, you know, the Russians were fighting the Nazis and it got a little bit confusing in terms of the history, right? Like who's the good guys, who's the bad guys? Obviously we all know the Nazis are the bad guys, but like, I don't know, there was a lot of problems going on in in that region in general. And I'm quarter Ukrainian, I'm half Polish, quarter Sicilian. And I think about when I'm here in Miami and there's all these different people with different backgrounds, right? There's Russians, there's Ukrainians, there's Belarusians, there's Bullocks. Like there's just, lots of us. And if you think about our history, like from our parents' perspective, it really weighs heavy that we can all be such good friends. Like, are we supposed to harbor resentment toward one another because of that nation? And of course, the answer is no. Like, I love my friends. I'm just happy that somebody's even remotely like me. And it's not like another chorizo fest, like, which don't get me wrong. Like, I love the Latin stuff. But like, sometimes I'm like, all right, let's go over to the Slovak side. And we have a lot of stuff in common. So when I went to Warsaw, I didn't really know what to expect. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, now there's all these Ukrainian people here. And like, are they just going to take all our jobs or, you know, the typical thing. And those are real genuine concerns. But what I found when I was in Poland was that everybody was like, great. Like, it was really beautiful. You know, the people seemed really happy to be supporting the influx of Ukrainian people. Like they're generally seemed to be a really good and artsy vibe in Warsaw. It was very culturally overall, Warsaw has really improved. So I was pleasantly surprised. On the other side, they completely don't have any Russian news at all, which no matter where you fall on that spectrum of who is at fault or whatever, you should be able to see news from all sides, in my opinion. So I was quite saddened to see that Poland only had the side of the Ukraine represented and knowing some people like Tone Vase, for example, he started showing me some interesting videos like Ukraine on Fire, which is a Oliver Stone movie. I mean, no friend of the right, I mean, leftist guy, Hollywood. And there were problems in the Ukraine with corruption for many years going on. So overall, like 
it's such a complicated subject, right? You have the real perspective, which I think is the individual, right? And each person, like, I'm sure that there were good people that did bad things that were in the Russian army. I'm sure there were good people that did bad things in the Polish side. I'm sure that there were good people that did bad things that were German. And so when I ask the question in the song, you know, what you going to do when they come for you? It goes back to that line, like the line between good and evil cuts through every heart, right? And what kind of person are you going to be? And so that in context with why are we all suffering like this? And like, where is God? Why is he helping us? And what are we supposed to learn? And what if there's just nothing that we're supposed to learn and it's just senseless atoms banging into each other and terrorizing each other? You know, like we all have to make that decision now, no matter Mm -hmm. how many drugs or parties or whatever it is that people are into in order to kind of avoid that. Like, I think that that's what we're looking at. So I was really happy to kind of like call into people's memory that history, like what are we messing with, right? Like what you speak about, you know, in the gulags, what I heard about in Poland and like in that family, like even looking at the way that we talk about our parents, right? Like Polish people and Slav kids, right? Our parents are so harsh and mean to us, right? And we all think about it in the context of like, here we are in America and you're supposed to like communicate about your feelings and stuff. When we feel victimized, we're like, oh, our parents are so mean. But to them, they're literally PTSD'd out Mm -hmm. from their parents starving to death and being killed and murdered and stuff. And so there's just so many things to kind of like sort through when we're facing like a resurgence of that. Like we're thinking about World War III, like we watch stupid TV shows and movies and stuff. That's not what it's like. And unfortunately, people in less fortunate countries are already paying that price for the greed and the psychosis of the ruling class, right? Like we're in America, well, I don't like war. Well, guess what? I get to look at beautiful Miami every day and I get to go to the store and they have mostly everything that I want. Like I live like a little pumpkin person, like a little happy little person. And there are people that have a great amount of suffering. So how can we help them? And where does that responsibility fall to us? Or does it fall to God? And how, what could we fight in between? Because mm-hmm. we're not dead yet. So we have to do something. But mm-hmm. I don't know what that is. Sorry to get all like heavy and like kind of like. Well, no, the, no this, is, this is like this is like deep stuff, right? Like, it is. Yes. We're, we're dealing with deep stuff. We're not just like hanging out. being like, and that's it. And that's it. You know? <laughs> yes. Well said. It, it's funny because the previous episode that I, I was talking about some of this stuff, a, a listener had written in and said he was grappling with like, you know, cause he's very reasonable and scientific and was open to the Christianity and wanted, you know, how, how do you Bob reconcile this? And, and yeah, you're right. Like you're saying with your friend being murdered, that's obviously the hardest practical issue, like horrible things that, you know, someone's kid dies of leukemia. What are you supposed to say to that? And it's nothing. To, well, I'm sure there's a lesson here somehow, you know, that you don't got to talk like that to somebody, but yeah, all I can say is like, I know in my life, things that were bad at the time later, I see, oh, that's now put me in a position to do what I need to do right now. And so I understand how, so I think theologically, the idea is that God uses bad things for good. He didn't cause the bad things is like, I think how a lot of people handle that stuff. Well, so one thing you did to try to make a difference, one woman can make a difference this summer is you went to this recent anti-war rally. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Oh, yeah. Well, this is like, to me, it really brought back, I mean, sometimes they make, just because now I'm more in crypto than politics in terms of the Mm -hmm. solution. And so I always make fun of standing around with your signs and a protest, but there's nothing like a good old-fashioned protest to feed the soul. And uh, it was like, as soon as I heard that this was happening, I'm like, wait, what? Why am I not playing there? And so I put the feelers out there and people got in touch with Angela McArdle. And so she reached out. And so I was really happy to be joining Jordan Page once again on the stage because, you know, Mm -hmm. about 11 years ago to the day, he and I first met and we were singing the troops support Ron Paul, Mm -hmm. like at that rally that Adam Kokesh had organized. And here we were 11 years later, joined by people from both the left and the right in front of Lincoln Memorial, in front of Washington Memorial, in front of that reflecting pool. And it was totally surreal. I mean, you had Dennis Kucinich, you had Tulsi Gabbard, you had Dr. Jill Stein, you obviously Ron Paul, the best. You had Scott Horton, you had 
like so many different people joining us and not just libertarians. You know, you had the People's Party, you had just a lot of different kinds of people joined together. Mm-hmm. And as it is typical with activists, there had to be some complainers that were trying to, you know, like poo-poo the event. But for me, I think it was just incredible. I loved being with everybody. I loved seeing everybody in person. I didn't hear anybody say anything crazy. There were some people there with Russian flags. So everybody had a conniption. First of all, I mean, is it in America? Aren't you allowed to fly a Russian flag if you like one? Like, yeah, okay. Russia's like in a war with Ukraine, but like, so what? Now Russians have to just pretend they're not Russian. I mean, I think that's disgusting. I was in the elevator one day with somebody and he was speaking in Russian, but I couldn't tell if it was Ukrainian or Russian. I was curious because Polish is a little bit similar and I'm just curious. And I asked him and it was like, he immediately said, oh, it's Russian, but but I'm Ukrainian, I'm Ukrainian. And I'm like, now we're just hating on people because they're from another country that we're like in a proxy war with. Like, I think that's just horrible. I think that the Russian people also want peace, just like the Ukrainian people want peace. I think that the people are victims of horrible governments in all cases. And it was sad to see that that was such a defining characteristic. It was not a pro-Russia rally at all. I think that a few of the speakers may have some understanding for the Russian position, but so? Like what? Now I'm responsible? Like, people are insane. They were getting mad saying that I was pretending to be Ukrainian. And I'm like, listen, I don't know what to tell you, but like, this is what my family's love. Hey, hang on. Let, let me just make sure in case some of the listeners don't know what's going on. Because what you're getting at here is the part where I realize, okay, some of these guys really are just belly aching. You know, they're so for people who don't know. Yeah. So the, the Libertarian Party participated, like co-host or co-organized this anti-war rally with other groups that were not libertarian. And their explicit point was preventing World War III is way more important than us not getting dirty, mingling with these people who don't believe in abolishing the income tax kind of thing. So yes, we can work with, join coalitions with other groups, even if they're not libertarian, if they're anti-war. So that was the purpose of this thing was. And some of the people who are speaking and then presumably some in the crowd the reason they don't want the U.S. arming Ukraine is because they're sympathetic to the Russian point of view. And they're saying, look, NATO is being aggressive, blah, blah, blah. I can understand where Putin's coming from, right? And so that's why I don't think the U.S. should be arming Ukraine, whereas other people can be like outright pacifists. And that's why the government shouldn't be armed. Or some people just say, hey, it's not their money. Like, if I want to give money to Ukraine, let me make that decision. So some critics of what the current LP leadership did in supporting this rally was to say, that, hey, look at this wasn't an anti-war rally. This is a pro-Russia rally. And then, yeah, there were some photos, Angela, when she was speaking, and Angela McCardle, folks, there was a couple of shots where depending on the angle, and some angles, there was the US flag behind her. So I was trolling her and going, oh, so now you support empire? But <laughs> there was there were some Russian flags. So let me just play devil's advocate. Tatia. So their argument is, well, how come there were no Ukrainian flags, right? If this really was just anti-war, Shouldn't there have been people there who were like, yeah, peace for Ukrainians. And yet, isn't that a coincidence that it was, if there was a flag besides the US, it was a Russian one. So doesn't that show this really wasn't anti-war, it was pro-Russia? Well, first of all, Ukrainians are welcome to come. They could have brought their flags. Second of all, the Russian flag was, some people say, put there on purpose. So it would look to discredit the movement. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, everybody needs to stop crying. There's actually people dying constantly, like the atrocities going on over there are going to spill over and everybody needs to just not be complaining because there's a flag there and be worried about what the actions are that, you know, are being enabled through our reckless spending and contribution to this war. I mean, we don't even have the money. Let's say baby little Ukraine is all we should keep giving the money. We don't have the money enough. And that seems to be like, one of the main components, too. I mean, mm. I don't know. Everybody, like, there was Scott Ritter, which was a speaker. I think that there, from what I understand, there was some righteous reasons to not want him as a speaker, some things that he had been involved with. So as far as I know, he was asked to leave or left under under some pressure. So that's good, right? Because that guy had, like, some kind of pedo stuff in the background. So that's what people were mad about. Okay, that makes sense. But as far as political views, I just don't think that it's appropriate to be mad if somebody is not 100% on Team Ukraine. Like, who cares? All we want to do is end the wars. 
And not everybody is responsible for every single thing that comes out of everybody else's mouth. I mean, it's preposterous. Read the tenants. People were united by those ideas. If there's a slight difference, people are losing the important part of it. I mean, Rachel Maddow went out of her way to talk about this event. She said it was small like six times and she tried to discredit it. She never once played any of the audio of anything that anybody actually said. Mm. And then in the meantime, people are getting mad saying that I'm not really Ukrainian. I'm really Russian. Like, well, well yeah. So this is the part I, for, I forgot to come back to. So yeah. that's what like, so I was like you said, I, again, there's no reason to be quite Scott Ritter folks was one of the scheduled speakers. He has some convictions of stuff that is not good from a PR standpoint, the very least. The reason I'm not going to get into the specifics is because his it's defenders will claim one thing. In the weeds, yes. right. So, like, not the best look. So he was uninvited. And like I said, I have no problem. I understand why people would say, what are you doing with him on the platform? Okay, again, people with comments or whatever can get mad at me and worse, give me a high five, whatever. But where I realized, come on, guys, now you're getting out of hand is when they grabbed you, Tatiana, like the Twitter profiles that were like just hating on the event leading up to it. And they grabbed you, like, a, you know, your, your headshot and put some quote that was completely innocuous about something about Hillary Clinton. Like, you, like Hillary Clinton was supporting something and then you were about Iran and then you were worried about there, are they ginning up a war in Iran? And then they were going, you know who else thinks like that? Putin or something. Or the, and it was like, okay, so they're literally using the same technique that they're discrediting you for thinking just because Hillary Clinton is for against Iran, maybe now I'm a little bit worried about supporting this women's protest because I'm suspicious. And so to show how dumb that was, they were pointing out that, you know who else thinks like that, Tatiana, is Putin and the Iranian regime, which is, anyway. And then you're saying they were then doubting, like, oh, she claims to have Ukrainian blood in her, but I don't think she does. Is that what the issue was? Like they were saying you were lying about your ethnicity? Yeah, they said that. And really, like, the comeback would be like, well, Ukraine was never really a country and it's always been part of Russia. Oh, and then they, like, cry. Well, I mean, I'm not going to make that argument because I don't know it that well. But, I mean, there is that, right? Like, I mean, Russians and Ukrainians have been family for thousands of years. Like, this isn't something new. So, I don't know. I mean, as far as I know, I'm Ukrainian. and the But the accusation, what difference does it make? What my blood is? I thought that we're against racism. And I just think the whole thing was really kind of gross from that perspective. And I had a, a quote unquote friend. I wouldn't say he's a friend. I had a like a colleague, whatever, somebody I'm friendly with, really attack me online and say, you know, oh, you're associating with all these people. And I was like, listen, you're a Ukrainian. You're under 65. You like this war so much? Go ahead. Go fight. Come on, big mouth. Like, I don't understand why it's okay for like, all of these poor young men that can't afford to get out of Ukraine being basically rounded up on the street, handed a gun and given a four-hour life expectancy. And that's okay. But everybody else is like, oh, I'm a blah, 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 blah online. Like, shut up. So it's a very complicated situation and everybody is still learning from each other. But the assumption that we're all there to cause ill really was, mm, you know, the only damper on what was actually an incredible event. And I look forward to doing more of them. Actually, I'll be doing a, a spaces with some of the people from the rally. And I think that we should do it regularly because that was the thing. Like, okay, big mouths, you got something to say? Well, here's the spaces. Why don't you tell me what you think we should do instead mm-hmm. of just complaining with your little keyboard? So, <laughs> Okay, so that's, so from your perspective, the action being there, you were glad you, you went and it was a successful event in your view. Yeah, I think it was a very big success. We had, I don't know, between three and 5,000 people, I think, over the entirety of it, I would say, around that range. So that's good. I mean, I feel like it could be a little bit more considering all the stupid people that show up for the, you know, the pussy hats. But whatever. I mean, it's a start. Sure, women's rights are so much more important than, I don't know, living to see another day. I don't know. Not to say, like, anything gets the women. You go, ladies. But I'm just saying, like, the level of priority that people put for protests versus something that I think is far more important. There's a really weird disparity there. I'm still trying to understand. Okay. And then I guess we'll have you for a few more minutes here. Do you want to speak? I know you had mentioned that just in general, you're still, you think you chose wisely that crypto and, you know, blockchain technology like that, in your view, is a much more productive thing that liberty-minded people should be focused as opposed to like trying to win at the political game. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I don't care about politics. I get it. People like it on a local level. 
But the reality is, is that it's like upholding a system that's not really going to like make us free. There is no incentive for the overlords to give us back our freedom. The only way that we're going to get it back is through taking it back. And there's been a lot of scams, a lot of sketchy stuff in the crypto space. But at the end of the day, Bitcoin still remains an option for people that don't have any options. And so I think that it's much more effective to hit them where it hurts. And the financial system is how the beast derives its power, right? So if we can take away that that life force where they're able to basically suck it out of all of us, then we actually have a chance of getting things back into balance. I mean, but like I said, we've got a lot of things that are, you know, what's more important than Bitcoin is like, is a relationship with, with something higher. Mm-hmm. Because all the Bitcoins in the world will never buy back your soul. I mean, you know, you flip it around with that old Masters of War song, but People in Bitcoin have become just as tempted with that ching, ching, ching in the pocket, right? We like that feeling. I like being rich. I don't like being poor now. And I don't know, like, we're not going to find our salvation in Bitcoin, like, on a more deep level. But on an earthy level, keep that coin coming. And, And I think that that community has really given me a lot to take strength and solace from. Because I just found, like, politics is so pointless after a while. When I got into Bitcoin stuff, I just felt like, okay, well, now I'm actually doing something and it gives me like a little bit more motivation to keep going. But, you know, sometimes I get really bored of the Bitcoin stuff and now I think it's just a little bit of me time. And I don't know, I think that's important too. Okay, well, great. So obviously I'll put links again, folks. It's bobmurphyshow.com slash 262. But do you want to just say verbally for people listening, like where can they go like to, if they want to see your new album when it fully drops and so forth? Sure. So people can listen to my three new singles. They're out on Spotify, Amazon, iTunes, all that stuff. You can go to TatianaMoroz.com and find out more information about me. They can go to Twitter. I'm pretty active on there, Queen Tatiana. And yeah, there's also a donate page if you guys like what I'm doing. Like basically, I've decided that music makes no money and it's totally thankless. But right now, if people want to make a donation, it would be appreciated. But yeah, I mean, in the meantime, that's the other thing that I think is exciting is the Web3 stuff that's being enabled through blockchain tech, where kind of people get to own their own content. I think that's going to be really influential for allowing content creators, not just musicians, but like yourself and other kind of people to have a sustainable career and be supported by their audience. I think Web3 is going to be the future of that. So people should keep an eye out for that. Okay, well, thanks so much, Tatiana. This was a very pleasant conversation. Well, we talked about some weighty stuff, but great to have you on and good luck with everything you're working on. Thanks very much for having me on. I'll see you all later. Bye. You've just experienced another episode of The Bob Murphy Show, the podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. For more information and to subscribe to this podcast, visit bobmurphyshow.com.